Teenagers make a lot of bad decisions. It's part of being a teenager. I remember a certain abandoned house my friends and I decided to explore. In the dark. I'm amazed none of us got hurt. We escaped without any bad consequences, mostly because nobody's parents found out what we'd done. Today, we're going to talk about a teen who made a decision she never thought would be a big deal. And if she hadn't met up with a predator named Raymond Moody, the worst that may have happened to her would have been getting grounded when she got home. Unfortunately, because of that predator, she never did make it home. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm going to bring you another story from the world of true crime, and then we'll see where it intersects with our faith. I hope that you'll want to join forces with me to answer what I think is every Christian's calling, and that's to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. We'll talk about a practical way to do that after we dive into today's case. This is Season 3, Episode 43, and we're going to talk about a case that went cold for 13 years. Brittany Drexel's story is filled with twists and turns, false accusations, and a startling confession. This case has been back in the news very recently, and we will investigate why, so be sure that you don't miss a second of this episode. 17-year-old Brittany Drexel lived with her family in the small town of Chile in the western part of New York State back in 2009. Chile sits about 12 miles southwest of the much larger Rochester, New York. Brittany was a junior soccer player at Gates Chile High School, and she was still deciding between becoming a nurse or a cosmetologist when she was done with school. Brittany wanted to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina over spring break that year with some friends of hers. Her mom said no because she didn't know the friends well and there weren't going to be any adults going with the kids on this trip. Now that sounds exactly what I would have said if Brittany had been my daughter. And probably you're thinking that's what you would have said too. Of course, Brittany was young. She just didn't have the life experience. She couldn't understand why having her mom know the people she was with and having adults taking care of them was such a big deal. She and her mom argued for days. Now, how many of us have been there, either as the kid or as the parent? Brittany finally asked if she could go to a friend's house for a few days to give them each some space so that they could settle down a bit. Her mom, Dawn, agreed, not knowing that Brittany's plan was to just go ahead and go to South Carolina and deal with the consequences later. Brittany and her companions stayed at the Bar Harbor Hotel in Myrtle Beach, a budget hotel right on the beach. She checked in by phone with Dawn, but she didn't mention where she really was. On April 25th, Brittany decided that she was going to visit the Blue Water Resort because a friend of hers from back near Rochester was also staying there for spring break. She was caught on the hotel surveillance cameras leaving around 8.45 that night wearing a black and white tank top, shorts, and flip-flops. Her boyfriend hadn't been able to go on the trip, and Brittany was texting him as she walked the mile and a half back to her hotel along Ocean Beach Boulevard, which was a busy main drag in Myrtle Beach. She'd borrowed a friend's shorts, and her friend had been pretty angry and demanded to have them back. 
Again, remember what it was like to be a teenager and those things seemed so important? After about a half an hour, Brittany's texts with her boyfriend just stopped. He called the friends that he knew she'd been traveling with, but none of them seemed to know where she was. They tried to call and text. She didn't answer them either. Brittany was gone. Her boyfriend had no choice but to call Dawn, who still didn't even know that her daughter had defied her and gone to Myrtle Beach. I couldn't find any clear reason why, but police didn't begin to search for Brittany until the next day. They retrieved the surveillance footage from the Blue Water Resort and spoke to the friends that she had visited there. They searched the Bar Harbor Hotel and found what she'd brought on her trip, except for her purse and her cell phone. A check of those cell phone records showed that Brittany's cell phone last pinged early on April 26th in an area along U.S. Route 17 near the Georgetown-Charleston County line. And that's about 50 miles or so away from where she was last seen on a traffic cam in Myrtle Beach as she walked from one hotel back to the other. As a parent and as an investigator, finding that out would have really alarmed me. Brittany didn't have a vehicle with her, and she certainly didn't walk that far. It seemed most likely that she'd gotten in a vehicle with someone. And then you have to ask yourself, did she do that willingly? If so, why isn't she answering anyone's calls or texts? Brittany's mother drove to Myrtle Beach and passed out flyers asking everybody she met if they knew anything at all. She would even eventually move there so that she could continue her search for answers in her daughter's disappearance. Authorities searched the area up and down Route 17 for 11 days, but they didn't find anything helpful. Two weeks after Brittany vanished, her father Chad went on the Dr. Phil show while Dawn joined by satellite. Remember, she was still in Myrtle Beach, still looking for Brittany. And I put a link to three short clips of that in the show notes if you're interested in, in watching that. Chad was clinging to the hope that Brittany had run away. On the Dr. Phil show, the young man that Brittany went to the other hotel to visit also appeared. He claimed that Brittany was on her phone arguing with a friend when she abruptly left. Four other people were in the room, and it seems that none of them disputed that story. The young man even submitted a DNA sample to the Myrtle Beach police, and he said that he'd offered to give Brittany a ride back to her hotel, but she refused. Of course, like any parent would be, Brittany's mom and dad are upset with that. But that doesn't make that young man guilty of anything. But the comments on those YouTube clips slam him. A lot of them imply that his behavior was shady. And that highlights the importance of keeping an open mind in investigations. You have to be sure that you don't get tunnel vision focusing on just one person or one theory of what happened. Because this young man didn't have anything to do with what happened to Brittany. Five years after she disappeared, a Horry County, South Carolina online newspaper article reported that Dawn Drexel and her parents believed that Brittany had been trafficked. Myrtle Beach police said at some point that they believed that that was very unlikely. They claimed that little or no trafficking was taking place in their jurisdiction. Let's just stop right there for a second. This is either straight up BS or these officials are very, very naive. 
I doubt that they're naive. They probably just want to protect the reputation of their area and protect all of the tourism that comes there. In 2006, Myrtle Beach had over 14 million tourists. 14 million. Criminals flock to tourist destinations. They are looking for victims, for people that they can prey on. An article from traffickinginamericataskforce.org estimates that human trafficking generates $150 billion a year in illegal profits. People that want to take advantage of people are going to go where the money is. They're going to go where the people are. We'll find out in just a few minutes that Brittany wasn't trafficked. But as an investigator, you can't just dismiss that possibility out of hand when a young girl goes missing. Again, you can't get tunnel vision. You have to look at every possibility. There wasn't much movement on Brittany's case after that, until 2011, when police confirmed that they searched an apartment unit in Georgetown County. But nothing seemed to come of it. Then in June of 2016, an FBI agent testified in open court that they had evidence indicating that Brittany had been killed. The agency would not clarify those statements much at all. But just a couple of months later, it was revealed that an inmate in federal custody said that he had seen 16-year-old Timothy Deshaun Taylor sexually assault Brittany, allow other men to do the same, and then shoot Brittany in the head before he dumped her body into an alligator pit. Police searched that house and dozens of nearby alligator pits. Okay, let's stop again for a second. Am I the only person here who is concerned that there are people living in areas where there are literally dozens of alligator pits close by? If you're one of those people, I want to hear from you exactly how you do that. Unfortunately, those searches turned up nothing. Timothy Taylor was never charged in connection with Brittany's disappearance, but suspicions lingered until May of this year, 2022. That's when police announced that they had recovered Brittany's remains and they had charged 62-year-old Raymond Douglas Moody of Georgetown, South Carolina, with murder, criminal sexual conduct, and kidnapping in Brittany's death. I want to take just a moment to thank everybody from my book launch team who has been putting out the word on social media that very, very soon, my book, How to Kick Fear to the Curb, is going to be coming out on Amazon. So if you are a fan of safety tips and you're a fan of looking at scriptures that help us learn that we are not supposed to live in fear, then you're going to want this book and you're probably going to want an extra copy to share with friends. Christmas is coming. This would really be a great gift. So check it out. November 1st is when it should be available on Amazon. So I hope that you'll get it. You'll leave a review and you'll share what you've learned so that we can all keep ourselves, our families, and our communities safer. Now let's get back to Brittany's story. Raymond Moody was well-known to authorities in South Carolina because he's on the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division's Sex Offender Registry. He'd been convicted in 1983 in California for rape by force, kidnapping, and lewd or lascivious acts and sodomy with a child under 14. After serving barely half of his 40-year sentence, Moody was released from custody in 2004 
and that's when he moved to South Carolina. In 2007, he completed his supervised parole. We're going to pause for the third time right here. Yes, you heard me right. After getting a 40-year sentence, basically chopped in half, this violent predator was only on supervised parole for three years. Anybody else really upset about that right now? Moody was living in the area where Brittany's phone last pinged, and he was a person of interest in a 2005 missing persons case. According to police, he had been a person of interest for years. Recently, advanced cell phone tracking technology was able to show that the pings on Brittany's phone moved from showing the phone moving along at a typical walking speed to likely being in a car. Advances like this are one reason why there's always hope for cold cases. Moody had also been pulled over on a traffic stop near Myrtle Beach the day after Brittany Drexel went missing. His face was covered with deep scratches. While in custody on an unrelated charge back in May of this year, Moody allegedly confessed to killing Brittany, and then he led law enforcement to her remains. Just last week, the 62-year-old pled guilty to the murder, kidnapping, and rape of Brittany Marie Drexel. How did this all come about? Well, earlier this year, Moody's girlfriend, Angel Vows, talked with FBI agents, and the agency had a confidential informant who had relayed statements the Vows had made about Brittany's case. Prosecutors believed that they had enough evidence to charge her with being an accessory, but they needed her help to make sure that they could convict Moody. They didn't charge her with anything, and in return, she wore a wire and got Moody to say enough so that agents could bring him in for an interview. And during that interview, Moody confessed. Of course, in his version of events, Brittany willingly got into his car when he offered her marijuana and the chance to party with him. He hoped she'd have sex with him, and when she refused, he raped her, strangled her, and hid her body in the woods, going back later to move it to where it was found recently. Now, he would have been nearly 50 years old back then, so I doubt that 17-year-old Brittany did anything voluntarily with him. Moody was sentenced to consecutive terms of 30 years on the kidnapping and criminal sexual conduct charges, and he received a life sentence on the first-degree murder charge. Let's hope that that actually means he'll be incarcerated for the rest of his natural life. Last Friday, Brittany's loved ones held a celebration of her life. Her mother thanked the community of Myrtle Beach and the police for never giving up. Brittany would have turned 30 this month. Let's all hug our own kids a little bit tighter after hearing Brittany's story. Before we dive in to our scripture passage for this week, I want to give you a little bit of context for it. It's from Psalms, and David is pleading with God to save him from his enemies. He even goes so far as to ask for God to destroy them. Have you ever felt that way? You know, I can't hear you. Nobody can hear you. You can admit it. I know there's times when I have thought thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking, and I have felt just like that. And David wants that because he not only wants to be safe, but he wants everybody to know that these people were after him. They were setting traps for him. They were telling lies about him for no reason. Brittany Drexel had someone after her for nothing that she had done. 
but just to satisfy his own evil desires. Now let's read David's words. This is Psalm 35, verses 4 through 7 from the New Living Translation. Bring shame and disgrace on those trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. Brittany Drexel didn't do anything wrong to Raymond Douglas Moody, but he decided to use her and throw her away just because he wanted to. Timothy Deshaun Taylor didn't do anything wrong to the inmate who lied when he said that Taylor was involved in Brittany's death. Now, he was never charged with anything in connection with Brittany's case, but his mom says that the family has lost friends and jobs over the false accusations. They've been harassed, and they've even received death threats. The young man who Brittany went to visit at the Blue Water Resort didn't do anything to the people who slammed him online, saying that he had to be involved in what happened to her, calling his behavior and his attitude shady. You've got to remember, he was only 20 years old. He was very young, caught up in a situation that he didn't know how to handle either. There were so many lies and misdirections in Brittany's story. As an investigator, I learned pretty quickly that sometimes justice means being able to tell your story or your loved one's story so you can combat the lies that your adversaries are telling. But on the flip side, accusing someone with little to no proof, which is so easy to do on social media, that's just as harmful. So when we think about that, it gives us a super easy practical action step. Let's all be vigilant about our postings, our shares, and our comments online. Always check facts. And always remember that what you're seeing out there, a lot of times is just someone's opinion, and they have a right to that. But those opinions are not always 100% factually based. I'm planning out episodes for 2023. So please let me know if you're aware of a case that needs to have some light shined on it or someone who would be an amazing guest that would bring great value to everybody that listens. And if you liked this episode, be sure to check out the show notes. I've put some links to some earlier ones because I want you all to make sure you hear the amazing guests that I've had and the information that they have brought to us. Please help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI a person of impact by sharing this episode, subscribing, giving me a five-star rating and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex and the artwork by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. 